0: You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 23, verse 23. Leviticus 23, 23. While you're turning there, I want to read you a poem called First Things First. The produce I alone induce is always faithful to reduce. My sweat falls fallow from my brow and lands upon a straining plow. Two steps forward, three return. I hoist the bales to have them burned. I saw this day so differently. I cannot count what I have earned. Just when I think I have a grasp on charting out my day, I glance over my shoulders tired and see my work decay. I know my steps aren't wasted, but fruitless they do seem. Another breath will be my death. Lord, help me. Show me what to glean. I'll move the least thing backward. I'll margin out more time. I'll steal away and hear you say, your works must become mine. I make something out of nothing. I make dead things come to life. If you seek fruit apart from me, you'll find only strife oh lord you've shown this often my memory seems so poor why do i press and never rest in what you have in store i thank you for the recall for putting me in my place to set my day's priorities by your amazing grace what are your priorities regarding time there are seven prescribed feasts in leviticus 23 Uh, that highlight the calendars of God's people. There's the Sabbath day. That's kind of the anchor of the other feast, God's weekly pause in our uh, weeks. Then there's the feast of Passover and Unleavened Bread. That's God's protection from the angel of death and eternity of death in hell. Then there's the feast of first fruits. That's a small first portion of God's abundant generosity to us because Jesus is our first fruits better than anything we could give to him. And then last week we looked at Feast of Pentecost, which is God's proof of value. Jesus was the first fruits, and when He poured out His Holy Spirit at Pentecost, it was the proof of that. And today we're looking at the Feast of Trumpets, which is God's piercing call for His people to prepare for His return. So I want us to stand back up, get our calisthenics this morning, and read these three verses together, just three verses. You can see this also uh, expanded over in Numbers 29, I believe, verses one through six. But we're just going to read this one today. Leviticus 23, verse 23. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh seventh month, on the seventh day of the month, you sh- you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation." You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. I want to ask Tracy Edwards to come and ask God's blessings on our service today. Tracy, thank you. Yeah, good morning.
1: Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day and your many blessings. Please forgive us of our sins and our shortcomings. I thank you, dear Lord, for the guests we had from around the world and to hear that the Lord is still alive and well and being preached. We thank you for the missionary work that we have here as well as abroad and we're very thankful that we have that freedom of religion in our own country and that all these wonderful people gave up their time today to come join us at Piperton Church. I pray for our community and the pain and suffering it has experienced this week. I am thankful for the peaceful demonstration and I pray for healing to begin. I thank you for the praise team and the blessing that they share with their voices for us in worshiping the Lord. And I pray for when today as he brings the message. I pray for wisdom and knowledge and, and his ability to speak to us that it touches our hearts. And I pray that if there is anyone here that does not know you, that they would reach out to any one of us so that we can share the good news. In all these things we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Yeah, you you can clap for a prayer, too. Well, feast means appointed time. The, the, the To feast is to appoint time for God on our schedules. Uh, now, there are other words for time used in the New Testament. Uh, there's the word chronos, which is a sequence of moments uh, emphasizing the duration of any certain time. And then there's kairos, which means uh, a fitting time. It's got no reference to duration. So, chronos is more span or quantity of time and kairos is more of a moment or quality in, in that time. But the word feast is different than chronos or kairos because feast contains both quantity and quality of time. Qual- quantity of the time, quality in the time. And there's a great example of this on display, and I want to give us a picture here. I don't know if you can make this picture out, but there's a, this is a picture of a, a clock maker. standing next to a very expensive clock and they this is sometimes called the Corpus clock because it's on um, it's it's in on display at Corpus Christi College at Cambridge University in the UK and locals call it the grasshopper clock because there's a wicked looking grasshopper that's uh, on sits on top of it but the guy who designed it who's in the picture is John Taylor And he's known around the world for both his quantity, (laughs) it's a big clock, and the quality, it's an incredible clock. And he named this particular clock chronophage. Chronophage uh, combines the Greek words chronos, meaning time, and the word phagio, which means to eat. So the name of this clock literally means time eater, right, that evil looking. Uh, grasshopper on the top if you ever look it up they've got a video of it it actually ticks forward as the clock ticks it eats the minutes it's going counterclockwise eating the minutes and it's a peculiar clock it's only accurate every five minutes the pendulum swings erratically it'll speed up sometimes it'll slow down sometimes it's got a little uh, casket in there where the chain rattles and sh- slams shut every time the hour tolls Uh, uh, John said, clocks are boring. They tell the time, but people treat them as boring objects. This clock actually interacts with you. And Taylor, this guy who designed it, he's 86 years old as of now. And he said, the clock is the sound of his own mortality. (laughs) Right? Below the clock is an inscription in Vulgate. Vulgate is the Latin translation of the Bible that was written around uh, AD 380. But in the Vulgate, it quotes a Bible verse from 1 John 2.17. I'll read it to you in English. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof. Right? Taylor is a world-renowned clockmaker. That clock that you're looking at cost one and a half million dollars. But he made it to remind us. He made it uniquely to remind us not to take time for granted. Because it's the time eater. Right? friend? I got, it, I got news for you john taylor's a heck of a engineer he made some he's made some great clocks you can look you can look him up he's got a whole website but our god didn't just invent the clock he invented time (laughs) right and he's over all he made a clock with such strategic and epic proportions we don't even know the end of it right man may have invented the sundial but god invented the sun Matter of fact, God invented the brain that came up with the sundial and the material used to make it. So all glory be to God. And you'd think that the inventor of time would know more about it than we do, right? And he does, and that's why we're studying it. And buried in this boring little book called Leviticus, I don't know many people that wake up in the morning and say, yeah, I'm going through the book of Leviticus. It's really blessing my heart, right? But we're finding some great truths in here. And in here, God reveals some uh, incredible truths about His own clock. And so we come to the Feast of Trumpets; the fifth feast after what we feel has been a long, long wait. It's been a long time. I want to put another chart up here. Uh, this one is the chart of the Jewish calendar, which is roughly two months ahead of ours. I don't know if you can see that little print. I apologize. But the first three feasts happen around March and April right? From left to right uh, is, is, there, is the Hebrew calendar. And so March to April, that's the beginning of the year. And then Pentecost is in May, June. And then you have around four months time elapse before what we're studying today, the Feast of Trumpets, which is the first day of the seventh month. So you got a, a good bit of time passing between the first four feasts <laughs> and these next three feasts of trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles. Leviticus 23.23 23 says, and the Lord spoke to Moses uh, beginning uh, a new section. You know He says this phrase every time He begins a new section. And this section is the Feast of Trumpets which initiated the end of the agricultural and festival year. But this four month gap is also symbolic of the time span, what some scholars call the church age, I just call it in times, and that's the period of time we're living in right now. If you ever were wondered if we're living in end times, we are living in end times, and we have been ever since Jesus ascended and 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 sent his disciples out. We've been living in the end times. Paul wrote in the Thessalonians, "We who are alive and remain." So Paul considered himself the potential of himself being caught up to heaven in the rapture. All right, and so we're living in these end times, and that this gap between the feast of Pentecost. By the way, it's been 2,000 years for us since Pentecost, right? We've been waiting. So people are prone to ask in every generation, is he coming back? When's he coming back? Well, you know, we always kind of say, could be today. Could be today. But do we, I mean, do we live like it's today? <laughs> do, we, do we order our schedules like it's today? And uh, it's okay to say that. We, we may know the seasons and we may know the end of the world is coming. But what we don't know is when. And until we know when, which we don't, we wait. <laughs> and it's important that we wait well. And it's unfortunate that waiting is only usually equated with earthly patience. Right? Uh, to be good parents, we, our kids come to us yelling at uh, one brother, smacked another brother, one sister yelled at another person. and So we, to be good parents, we, we're patient, right? We, we wait. We wait to hear the story before we delineate the judgment, right? Good parents. And we always equate waiting with patience, silence, stillness, calmness. But when it comes to the Feast of Trumpets, When it comes to Christ's return, waiting well doesn't mean quiet immobility. All right, you may be laid up in bed from a surgery, but that doesn't make you patient or quiet. Right, those of you that have dealt with your spouses, right, it makes some, what it makes you is immobile. All right. And it can cause muscles to atrophy. And we don't want in the waiting process in these four months between Pentecost and the Second Coming, we don't want to wait and and have atrophy. The Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets, I'm sorry, reminds us and God's Word guides us in waiting. And I want to give us five truths this morning of how to wait on the coming of the Lord. And the first is this, wait urgently. Well, that sounds like an oxymoron, right? Right. Wait urgently, Leviticus 23, 24, in the seventh month, on the seventh, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. And that word for solemn is not just Sabbath as some translations say, it's solemn rest. Now, there's, there's three general definitions of solemn. One is stately and more formal, one is serious, and one is sincere and i believe what's in view here is the latter two you know we always tend to approach these feasts as some formal traditional thing but even with jews today uh, this was a time to be serious and sincere and serious doesn't necessarily mean sad it just means ready and i believe waiting urgently includes being ready in two ways first being sanctified, Second Peter three verse eleven. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Verse thirteen. But according to the, His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And that word for hastening there is the Greek word speedo. And I'm not talking about some creepy old guy on the beach with a gold chain last summer. I'm talking about hurry by by extra effort, right? So the coming of the day of the Lord suggests that followers of Jesus, right, by seeking to live holy lives, can somehow affect the time of the Lord's return. Now, That doesn't mean we've changed God's mind, right, or his eternal plan. But it means that when God set his plan in motion and set the time of Christ's return, he planned that his purposes for saving the lost and growing the kingdom of God in our lifetime would happen through us, his church. That's how he set it up. That's why we seek to reach the unreached. That's why we support missionaries around the world. That's why we teach our kids and our adults and our students. We're in small group Bible studies trying to glean more from God's Word so we can be more prepared. So that we can speed up somehow, either figuratively, but also in some supernatural way, spiritually, speed up or hasten the return of the Lord. Luke chapter 12, verse 35 says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Scholars say, uh, that one interesting custom with the shofar the shofar is the is the ram's horn that's the name of the ram's horn it's aka trumpet uh, is that for Jews this feast of trumpets meant the shofar was sounded in the synagogue with four different notes I won't uh, tell you the Jewish words but one is a blast one is uh, broken notes one is an alarm and then one is a long great blast and because the shofar the trumpet was used in the ancient world to head Uh, a king, so also on Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish uh, word for this uh, Feast of Trumpets, all Israel is said to appear before the King of Kings in anticipation of personal judgment. So the shofar, the trumpet, is like a spiritual wake-up call calling God's people to prepare for the appointed time. Galatians 5.5 says, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of Righteousness, And we already know that we have the gift of God's Christ righteousness, imputed righteousness is what they call it. That makes us right before God, that makes us perfect in the eyes of God through His Son, Jesus. We've already got that if you've called on the name of the Lord and repented of your sins and believed on His death, burial, and the resurrection. You have that imputed righteousness right now. So, what is the righteousness we're hoping for if we've already got that? Well, it's the completion of sanctification that was put in motion the day we called on the name of the Lord. So the four feasts, four spring feasts, look back at what Christ accomplished at His first coming, right? The three fall feasts point us toward the glory of His second coming. But that glory comes through that next feast, atonement. And the trumpets alerted God's people to that coming day. So the Feast of Trumpets was a call to prepare. This is why Paul prayed in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ god is coming to deal with sin so we need to be prepared not not just by the righteousness we received in salvation but the righteousness of earthly sanctification this is what we've been going over on wednesday nights we've been going through an old book that was written in 1611 has been re-edited by john owen been going over how how to get rid of sin in our lives specifically part of the urgent waiting is waiting while being sanctified but also waiting while being terrified (laughs) matthew 24 45 who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time We are to be about the destruction of sin in our lives. And we're be, to be about the growth of the kingdom of God in and through the local church. Not just for fruit, but for fear. Now, I don't mean scared, but fearfully aware of the pending judgment for those who are not ready. And for me, I don't want to be caught not ready. I want to be caught running The trumpets of God call the people in this festival to prepare for the time later in the month when the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies. Y'all know when we take the Lord's Supper, every time we do it, I try to read this verse in 1 Corinthians 11. It's a warning from Paul as we partake in the in the representation of the body and blood of Jesus to remember what he's done for us. We need to be we need to prepare ourselves before we take the Lord's Supper, which we'll be doing next week. And when we take it, we're remembering Him. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. 28, Paul urges us, let, let a man, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. The ESV says it this way, every new moon has a holy day. It was a holy day in Scripture. But since the seventh month of the year was holy, the, sev- the first day of that month was especially holy. That's why it was marked by holy convocation no ordinary work, the blowing of trumpets. And almost get this: almost twice as many sacrifices as on other new moon festivals. Why? It's preparing. According to uh, chapter 10, verse 10, blowing the trumpets at the festivals is a plea to God to remember Israel. For observant Jews, even today, the days from the first to the tenth of the seventh month, the Day of Atonement, are the holiest in the year when they search their consciences and confess their sins. While we wait, we cannot treat God's grace as fire insurance. As if what's coming has no bearing on my righteousness right now. No need for obedience. You know, I got my free pass. We need to be about the work of obedience. We're saved, but we need to be sanctified until He returns. So, we urgently wait. Next, we wait confidently. In 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 1-3, through you know, we're, we're kind of scared by the suddenness of Christ's return. Right? 1 First, uh, First Thessalonians 5.4, though, goes on to say, to make clear that our terror is still filled with confidence. Verse 4 says, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. You're not going to be shocked. Why? Because you're waiting for it. You're waiting confidently for it. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. So as Christ's followers, we've been warned to prepare for the sudden coming of the Lord. Being unprepared for the second coming is like being asleep and unconscious and unprepared for a sudden guest. I guarantee everybody in this room at one point in their life have been jolted out of sleep. Right? You may have been on a mission trip, you may have been uh, on vacation somewhere, you don't even know what room you're in when you wake up. You're like, I don't know what country I'm in right now. Right? You wake up from a sudden, and, and that's what, how Paul's describing what you're going to feel like. That's what being unprepared feels like. It's disorienting. But followers of Jesus are what 1 Thessalonians 5.5 5 calls children of light, children of the day. Ephesians 5.8 says, at one time you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So faithful followers are one in Christ. We've been saved from sin. We are prepared for the day of the Lord. We don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know when it's going down, but we know we're going up. <laughs> right? Uh, Gregory Beale's commentary on First Thessalonians, First Second Thessalonians explains how, Knowing that a thief may come, we lock our doors and install alarms. But we don't stay home all the time until He comes. Instead, we go on with our lives, readying ourselves and our homes without being paralyzed. Right? We can be confident. John 4.35, Do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest right now. And we're not just confident in sanctification or in our destination. We're confident in our multiplication. Amen. For our missionaries around the world We had 21 people baptized last year There are hundreds being baptized every day Thousands all around the world More people are coming to faith than ever before But we need to pray We need to plead before God Confidently Lord you say I, say, I tell this to the Lord all the time Lord you say in your word I tell God his promises to me <laughs> Remind him of his promises I say Lord you told me You told me there's, that the fields are white unto harvest Well give them to me Give me the harvest. I don't want 21 people saved. I want 2,100 people saved. Amen? And we need to be looking for this harvest confidently. Next, we wait eagerly. Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in Heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't like the, the way that's translated. I think the NASB and Young's Literal Translation and other translations get it right, the translation. That word should be eagerly waits. It's the same word found in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 7, so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait. Romans 8.23, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait Eagerly. This word for wait is actually a combination of three words one meaning away from, another meaning welcome, and a third meaning out of. So it's a triple compound. And it means welcome from and out of, meaning waiting that decisively puts away all that should remain behind. Right? So the word means looking completely away from this world and to the upcoming redemption of our body. That's what it means. I've completely lost sight. <laughs> I'm so enthralled by and engrossed by it, and consumed by the coming of the Lord. That's waiting eagerly. Romans 8.23 where it says groan, our bodies groan inwardly. That's not food poisoning. Right? That's not a stomach virus. It's from the Greek stenos, meaning compressed, restricted, constricted. It's to groan because of pressure being exerted forward like the pressure, forward pressure of childbirth. The term denotes feeling which is internal and unexpressed as in to sigh or moan or groan with frustration. The ESV says the tension is seen here between the already and the not yet in Paul's theology. Christians already have the first fruits of the Spirit, but they still await the day of their final adoption when their bodies are fully redeemed and they are raised from the dead. Their adoption has already occurred in a legal sense, and they already enjoy many of its privileges, right? But here Paul uses adoption to refer to the yet greater privilege of receiving perfect resurrected bodies. So, church, do you ever groan? (laughs) ever look at the things on the news just the things that just happened and instead of just thinking what foolishness what foolish men what insanity does it make you groan for the for the return of Jesus not well they should have done this and that person should be fired and they need to fix this no 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 the fixer needs to come that's when it'll be done and we need to long for that we need to wait Urgently, confidently, eagerly, and fourth, we need to wait expectantly. Now, what's the difference between eagerly and expectantly? Well, eagerly is almost like a spiritual anxiety. Not a bad one, but, you know, a sigh of discontentment with everything that's in this world. I'm just discontent, right? Y'all have been there. Most, a lot of the people in here are what I would consider globally affluent. You're, a, you're ahead. You're above the top 50% of the world, I assure you. All right? And you have more than you need, and yet you're not satisfied, right? Just like me. Get a new car, you want a new one. It's not long, you, you drive something new, and you go, oh, I didn't know they didn't have this on that last model. All right? It doesn't matter what it is. Some people even treat their spouses that way, which trade them in for a new one. And I'm going to tell you something there's discontentment in every direction. And that discontentment is because we're not content with Jesus. The difference. And eager and expecting. Expectantly is more like when my dad, when I was a kid, I was five, six, seven years old, my dad would come home from work, five o'clock. And uh, when he would come up the steps, we just had a little one story, but we had a back porch. He would come up the steps and come in through the the dining room and he would take a left-hand turn. And I would stand on, there was a couch against the wall right there. And I would stand on that couch and in the reflection, there was a we had an old grandfather clock on the on the wall. And a little little wall clock. And it had a glass front to it. And I could see the reflection of my dad around the corner coming up the steps. And he'd come in and he'd put his stuff down. He had some books, computer, whatever. He'd set it down on the table. And I would wait for him to walk past and I would jump on his back. I was waiting for him. Of course, every I walked by he acted like it was the first time he was surprised every time I was like every day I was a dumb kid um, but that's expecting waiting and watching I could hear I remember hearing his car pull up in the driveway and I'd go get ready Jude 121 says keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life that word combo is is towards combined with welcome Right? Waiting actively, expectantly, ready and willing to give and receive all that's hoped for. Right? Do you know the phrase blowing of trumpets translates the Hebrew word teruah? And the word is loosely like the English word fanfare. Right? Fanfare. My dad, I was my dad, I was my dad's fan. Right? And I am Jesus's fan. And I'm going to welcome Him in one day. Romans eight nineteen. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And that word for eager longing is another one of those trichotomies there. It's apo, meaning away from, kara, meaning the head, and dokio, meaning thinking. It means thinking forward, literally with head outstretched as if you're leaning across a finish line. <laughs> Eagerly longing. Hey church, while you wait for Christ's return, lean into it. May God find me leaning not just on the everlasting arms, but towards His return. We wait urgently. We wait confidently. We wait eagerly. We wait expectantly. And fifth, we wait personally. Titus 2.13 Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The blast of the trumpets on the first day of the seventh month was an announcement of the coming King. The hope of our waiting is personal. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 7, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, for the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of the, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Trumpets have always been used in the Bible to usher in the Lord's presence. Joel 2 verse 1, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. (laughs) Psalm 47 verse 5, God "...has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises." So when the trumpet sounds, and we hear it, it's not DoorDash outside, I'm not getting a box dropped off by Amazon, all right? It's not one of the apostles, Moses or Abraham, ringing my doorbell. It is the King of glory, in person, Jesus Himself. (laughs) <laughs> he ain't sending his workers. I'm not, I'm not even riding out like Elijah did. Elijah rode out alone on the chariot of fire. You ever think about that? Jesus is coming to get me. Jesus <laughs> himself will return. It's personal, y'all. I was at, uh, sitting right back there, uh, or right back here, uh, at Garrett and Frankie's. How's it been, being married for a couple weeks? Been pretty good? So good, so, yeah, so far so good. I <laughs> have uh, Frankie Garrett Leith, uh, Frankie was in the back. She was about to come down, and Garrett was up here. And Garrett turned around backwards and was facing this way. And everybody else, you know, they stood up on Sharon's cue, you know, or whoever, you know. And everybody stood, and they're all turned. They're looking at Frankie. But I'm going to tell you all a secret. No offense, Frankie. I wasn't looking at you. I was looking at Garrett. Because that's the face I'm going to have, right, when my heavenly bride comes in the door. And Garrett, boy, you ain't never seen a happier kid than when, that, when he turned around and saw her come in. That, if you could just capture that, that's the Feast of Trumpets. Our waiting is wonderful because it's intimate and it's real and it's personal. How we wait matters. So we need to wait urgently. We need to wait confidently, eagerly, expectantly, and personally. And we'll be ready when the trumpet sounds. ain't going to catch us off guard. Amen? Okay. Amen. Would you stand? Father God, we, we don't want to be immobile waiters. We want to be moving toward you, leaning into the finish line. We don't want to coast across it. We want to stick our chest out. We want to fall down. (laughs) We we want to be running so hard we don't have a step or a breath left in us. And so God, we we just pray now that you would help us because we don't have the strength in ourselves. We do get lost in the valleys of this world and in our days and dark clouds of depression descend on our homes and our marriages and our families and we think we're no good and Satan keeps us in a downward spiral of nothing. And really all he's doing, he's trying to block you out. But God, if you've saved our souls, you cannot be blocked out. We are children of the day. And so, Father, we pray that we would live that way. We would live redeemed. We would hear. We would be ready, waiting for the trumpet to sound. To usher in your eternal kingdom forever. I will not have to struggle with my sin and with this wicked world any longer. And bad governments and death and murder and physical pain sickness i'll be taken up to glory with you for all eternity and so god this little flake of dust this little grain of sand we call life on earth compared to all eternity is just a vapor we pray we would live that vapor with intentionality in the way we schedule our calendars and live our lives Make us better parents, make us better wives, make us better husbands, make us better fathers and mothers and children. Make us better soul winners, make us better Bible studiers, Lord. Let let us be consumed with you this year, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name.